Oh, I'm sorry. Did I break your concentration? Somewhere between science and superstition. Such sights to show you. Strange Eons. Welcome to Strange Eons Radio. That's Eric over there. Hello. That's Vanessa over there. Hello. I'm Kelly. Speaking of Vanessa, Vanessa, you sent Eric and I a couple of pictures of you with your Strange Eons mask at the <laughs> Grand Canyon. Yes. Were they making you wear a mask at the Grand Canyon? <laughs> no. I packed it specifically so that I could wear it and take a photo at the Grand Canyon. Oh, okay. Thank God. I was like, boy, it's really strict over there. Oh, in Arizona, they care not. And it was also <laughs> really confusing coming back because um, I had missed the news cycle about airplanes no oh, longer yeah. requiring masks. <laughs> so getting on the plane and, you know, having gone through the airport and being really careful and not taking off because they don't even want you to take it off to like eat and stuff. It's like, okay, sip a straw through it and whatever. Um, so sitting on the plane and watching nobody mask up and I'm like, how many people are about to get kicked off this freaking flight? <laughs> and then the, you know, pilot gets on and he's like, yeah, so we got the news yesterday. Everything's really good. So glad you guys, you know, see so, so many smiling faces. And I was like, what the fuck is happening right now? <laughs> How long have I been sleeping? <laughs> yeah, it's like, what is going on? Um, but yeah, no, I I really did not have to wear my mask hardly anywhere. But in Arizona, the difference is every, it's so hot, the doors are open everywhere anyway. So there's always a breeze going through. So you never really feel sure. nervous about it. Sure. Yeah. Or you're at the Grand Canyon. <laughs> Why would you be worried? <laughs> Majestic. Kind of open air there. Mm -hmm. uh, you also visited someplace else, though. Tell us about yeah. that. Yeah. Well, so I have a bucket list. And on that bucket list are John Carpenter filming locations <laughs> that are spectacular. Nice. And I only had like three days to take a really, really quick break, get on a plane, go somewhere and come back. So I chose to go to Meteor Crater, which is um, can be seen at the end of Starman. Yeah. Was it uh, everything you... Hoped it would be. It was the best place I've been on my entire life. Wow. Oh, it geez. was so good. Not only, first of all, I love space and I love like disaster. So <laughs> giant hole that meteor hit and disintegrated, which caused like misfortune for many people who tried to make money off of it and couldn't. But on top of it, the gift shop. Let me tell you about the gift shop. The gift shop had in it space stuff, obviously. Sure. It had dinosaur stuff for no reason, which I also love dinosaurs. It had woolly mammoths everywhere for no reason, which I loved. It had copies of Starman for sale Aww. on DVD, which nobody bought or understood or talked about, but that's okay. I was happy. And on the TV, it was playing 2012. Oh, shit. <laughs> so I was like, is it my birthday? Like, what? How did you guys create a store that is just for me. It is literally for me. So uh, I was extremely happy. That's very cool. Oh, nice. Just think of the last time I've taken a vacation. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it, it had been a long time for me. I think it, uh, actually the last time I got on a plane, it was also for Arizona for a friend of a friend's like bachelorette thing. So yeah, I guess I just keep going to Arizona. I would say between the three of us though, mm -hmm. if you collected 
every place Kelly and I have gone in the last 10 years Mm -hmm. and every place you've gone in the last two, (laughs) you're still going to have like 15 more. (laughs) Yeah. But I, I mean, I used to, to me, it feels so small because I used to live in England. So I was so used to traveling constantly. So now it's like, "Mm, I don't do anything. I just sit in my house. Mm." (laughs) So uh, this feels very small to me, but it also made me very happy. That's good. Well, I did a lot of sitting in my house and uh, (laughs) I caught up on a couple of old movies that I'm going to talk about here. Uh, The first was Razorback. Oh, yeah. uh, Russell Mulcahy's Killer Pig movie. Yeah. I thought I had seen this and I think I have seen maybe the first part of it is all. I fucking loved this movie. Really? It is basically a Jaws ripoff. Only it's a gigantic pig nice. in the outback, literally crashing through people's homes. Mm-hmm. Hmm. I had no idea this what that's what this movie was about. Such an underrated film, and it is so, so much fun. Good. The acting is really fun. Um, there's a bizarre. I was like, oh, is this kind of a mix of Mad Max and Killer Pigs? And I was like, oh no, it's just Australia. <laughs> everything, everything is kind of Mad Max over there. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> And I had a great time with this film. It is on Prime, I believe, or it might be on it might be on Shutter. I don't know, but it was really good looking transfer. I'll say that. Oh, cool. And just everything about it, I was like, oh, no wonder they turned around and gave him Highlander right after this. Yeah, mm. I mean, he it even had a um, Duran Duran song on it, oh. uh, New Moon on Monday. Oh. And of course, he was known as the Duran Duran video director. He directed sure. all of their videos, they, so I, he must have had you know, a pretty good relationship with yeah. them. And then said, can I use your big, huge hit song in my very tiny little movie? <laughs> and they said, okay. Sure. $10. I've been meaning to watch that for ages, but I feel like I kept hearing it sucked and kept putting it off and putting it off. Vanessa, I think you would love yeah. this movie. I, I was just standing there going, what took me so long? <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'm definitely I'm gonna I'm gonna Amazon it as soon as we're done with this. Nice. So, that sounds incredible. Gosh, I feel like I've been watching a lot of like Japanese and Chinese content as of late and <laughs> Korean content. Um, but I caught a series because I I've been working really, really, really hard and have not had as much time for movies as I'd like. So I I had previously been through a very bad show called Love is Blind <laughs> on Netflix. And I went ahead and watched Uh-oh. all of Love is Blind Japan. Oh, man. no. <laughs> <laughs> um, it was, there is a lot that's lost in translation. I will tell you that culturally, I was like, I don't understand what the problem is. And then like a couple would have a big breakup and people are crying. And I'm like, what? Why? <laughs> is it? It's something he kept keeps saying you don't speak well. And I'm like, what do you mean you don't speak well? And then like, it took three episodes to work out that I think it was that she's very negative. And I was like, I didn't know that because not a single time did she say a negative thing. I'm like, <laughs> is what is going on? I don't, anyways, it was, um, it was definitely a interesting watch that allowed me to understand. I know a lot less about another country than I thought I did. Is that bad? Dubbed then, or yeah. you're watching the background? Oh, no, it's not dubbed. I'm sorry. It is um, say, subtitled. Oh, no, live dub? <laughs> no, luckily it was subtitled, but it was not subtitled by a native English speaker. So there were moments where I was like, that's not the words you guys meant. It was, <laughs> I hope. Good yeah, Lord. <laughs> definitely. There was many times where I was like, uh-uh, you meant this word for sure. Wow. So. 
I watched uh, season two of a show that I know we both, Kelly and I really liked the first season of, but completely forgot to talk about the second of Righteous Gemstones. Oh, yeah. Hmm. Have you seen this show? No. It's fucking crazy. It's really good. Yeah. Uh, it's about a super huge uh, church, kind of like, you know, they have those stadiums now. Yeah, the mega churches. They're like one of those mm. groups. And, you know, per no huge expect, expectation, they're not really very righteous and holy <laughs> when the cameras not, aren't rolling. Not very Christian. No. <laughs> and um, God, who's on it? It's uh, Walter Goggins is one of the main guys. Right, and, right. Um, and, of course, John... Uh, John <laughs> All I can think is John Lithgow. It's like not John Lithgow, but John John Goodman. John Goodman is the oh, the lead guy. I love John the, Goodman. The what's that crazy dude who? Yeah, did, the guy um, from Eastbound and yeah, Down. Yeah, he, he's Down. the one who wrote and created the show. Oh, okay. I can believe that. He plays probably the worst <laughs> yeah. of the family. And, the firstborn. Yeah, it is a. It is oddly not spoken about much. Yeah. I assume mm. that it's got good ratings. Uh, mm. But I don't know. I love it. It's I think it's because it's such a weird mixture of dark comedy and yeah. sometimes serious tones, stuff yeah. like that. Hmm. And Eric Roberts was a great addition for this season. Eric Roberts was great. The um, the sudden appearance of um, uh, the the boy from Home Alone. Uh, oh, oh. Um, Macaulay yeah. Macaulay Culkin. Culkin. Yeah. The sudden appearance of him <laughs> as an adult in, in one episode, and he was brilliant. Yes. And I was just like, wow, what a comeback. <laughs> he was so good in that scene. Because, you know, you expect some kind of reaction in a scene like that, but he carried it so well and was so subtle. Mm. But, uh, yeah, all the, all the performances are top-notch, even when they're really annoying. Um, and it, it's well worth watching. It is a lot of fun and funny and messed up. Jesus, especially this season. Holy shit, man. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, It got kind of dark. Yeah. And I don't think there's any other mainstream sort of thing like this that does a larger effort to figure out weird ways to show naked guys. (laughs) (laughs) One of the brothers, um, has his part of the church is a bunch of bodybuilders. You know, like those ones where they tear, yeah, I'm sure you've seen them. Like mm-hmm. they, they exist in the real world where they're tearing phone books and they're all right. Bodybuilders for God. Yeah. Kind so of thing. They're, oh. they're all oiled yeah. up and <laughs> it is <laughs> really straddles the line between homoerotic and super homoerotic. <laughs> <laughs> That's incredible. Yeah. It's well worth seeing. Hmm. Yeah, I, I'm bummed that it's such a short season every time. Yeah. It's like seven episodes or something. Yeah, it's real short. Like seven episodes? How dare you? <laughs> <laughs> How dare you give me less of this thing I love? <laughs> um, the other movie I watched that uh, was a first time watch for me was Shockwaves. Huh. The early or I guess mid 70s Nazi underwater oh. Peter Cushing oh, movie. <laughs> okay, yeah. I. I think I have tried to watch this maybe 10 times in my life. And I was like, this is boring. And I, mm-hmm. I don't want to see this. And I never got to the Peter Cushing part. Oh. So this showed up on, um, arrows, Peter Cushing collection or something. Yeah. And I was like, what he's in this. Oh, I guess I'll give it a try. And I watched it and I ended up really loving it, but I don't get it. 
Yeah. No. <laughs> I don't know what was actually going on in it. Mm-mm. And uh, it's basically Nazis that rise out of the water. And I was like, oh, they're, they were buried under the sea and they're coming out of the water. No. Um, swimming pools. Rain puddles, <laughs> anything. There's a, there's a little creek there, and a Nazi just sits up out of it. They're all wearing goggles and shit. I, I, I was like, I don't. I it's very striking imagery. Yeah. I don't get it. I just, what year is this from? Seventy six, baby. Yeah. What? Probably Italian. It's some some Italian puddle. Somebody Nazis. had something to do with it, uh, except that it's all uh, in English. So yeah, I don't know. And it looks very low budget. Wow. There is yeah. not a huge budget in this thing. I don't know why. This time, w- with a glass of wine, well, I mean a bottle of wine, uh, <laughs> I watched this whole thing and I just shook my head the entire time a Nazi. The best part is like, there. it's a shot of the ocean and then a Nazi sits up out of it. And you're like, oh, he didn't like walk out of the ocean. He was lying in three feet of water. <laughs> exactly, yes. <laughs> so I, I don't get it. I enjoyed it thoroughly. Oh, yeah. that's lovely. Um, Well... So I guess I'm always trying to prove myself wrong. Okay. And I went and saw a couple weeks ago um, the, the movie Lost City with Sandra Bullock and Channing Tatum. Why? Uh, I can I just like- say right now that <laughs> I might enjoy this because I've liked some of those stupid movies, but right. largely because The Rock's in them yeah. usually. But I, I would, if, yeah. I I wish I had a good answer. I don't. I mean, a, a, a girlfriend of mine was like, oh, I really want to see this movie. And I was like, yeah, I'll go see this movie. It might be fun. It's Was it fun? I mean, no. No. <laughs> you, you like the dumb disaster movies, not yeah. the dumb action movies. I mean, I like some. Is it an action movie? It's an action. It's a rom-com. It's a thoroughly situated rom-com with some adventure elements to it. All the actors were great in it, but every time they made a joke, I was like, "Hmm." I thought it was more like one of those Jumanji, like the Jumanji Mm. ones, the Hulk. No, because I love Jumanji. Like Jumanji is one of my favorite movies, but the remake. Um, But this was just a lot of like, oh, look at his butt and it's got leeches on it and oh I'm wearing this thing and it's getting up in my crotch oh I gotta pull it out like there's a lot of that (laughs) which for me I just don't love I but everyone in it is great and it is bringing back I think a genre that has recently died I think uh, mid-tier mid-budget rom-coms yeah Yeah. definitely yeah those have really gone away and I think that's been replaced by different things that superhero movies seem to have just enveloped certain (laughs) aspects so it's like there's a little bit of romance in Thor so don't worry about romance movies so this definitely was kind of bringing that back and I think financially did it really uh, it did really well but I I it was it just wasn't for me it's not necessarily a bad movie I just didn't like it I can see that so I saw a very interesting one with the stud man, Frank Grillo. Oh. Wheel man. Oh, I thought you were going to say cop shop. Uh, mm. What's wheel man? It is kind of a underground one, I guess. Mm. It, I don't know where it popped up on Netflix or something. And uh, I'm like, hey, so, dude, let's check this out. Looks cool. And it's very interesting. It's a drive kind of movie where he is playing a wheel man. And, of course, something more starts to happen and he's got to deal with that and his family gets involved and other gang guys gets involved. But the, the hook of the film is 
the camera never leaves the car. Mm-hmm. And if you go to a different car, you just end up in that other car. But all the action happens in front of the car or in the car. Oh. So it's really wild. Is it like dash? Is the idea that they're cutting together dash cam no, footage? No, no, it's not like a found footage or anything. Like the, the camera yeah. operators in the back seat. Weird. Uh, and it was as well done, hmm. or in the side seat, or whatever it needs to be. But uh, it's interesting, and it doesn't. You don't necessarily feel that. I mean, now that I've said that, you'll see it immediately. But watching the movie, it didn't really hit me until mm-hmm. you know ten, fifteen minutes in. I'm going, he is. Hold on. <laughs> Several people get in another car. Like people get killed in the car. I mean, all kinds of stuff happens, which was so. It's just fun. Frank Grillo is in like every scene in the film almost. Mm-hmm. So. That makes it work watching all on its own. Is this brand new or kind of new? Or? I'm not sure. I didn't write a date down. So it's, it looks new, though. It looks very new. Like he is, if you look up his IMDb, I think he does like 12 movies a year yeah. or something. Wow, he that guy's incredible. Working. Yeah, and he's in his 50s and he's just ripped. Yeah. <laughs> and um, I, I did get uh, Dina to watch um, uh, Boss Level. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I felt like watching that again. And that is, that is, that, does not lose anything on the yeah. second viewing. It yeah. is so goddamn good. Uh, Cop Shop is streaming on Peacock. Oh. Oh, wait. No, I think I looked it up and you have to pay for it still. Oh. I think Peacock has, well, they've, there's, theirs is weird. They've got like different tiers you can pay and they've got some content that's yeah. free and mm. it's kind of a mess. I may have to, is that, I'm not familiar with Cop Shop. Came out last year, Frank Grillo and, uh, Oh shoot! Oh, Gerard Butler, oh, my my oh, favorite okay. bad movie guy. <laughs> All right, and um, they are trying to kill each other, and they are both prisoners or you know jailbirds in a cop shop. Oh, okay. Uh, it's oh, that sounds. It's cool. not it's not great, but I had a lot of fun with it. Yeah, actually, I, it took a kind of serious tone in the middle that I was not expecting. Whoa, yeah, because it looks it looked good but wacky. It looked yeah, yeah, it's not as wacky as you want it to be. Oh, but still good. Well, when it's free, I'll watch it. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good. Yeah, who knows? Um, <laughs> okay, well, how about we take a little break, and then when we go back, we're talking Nicolas Cage. Yeah. Oh, hi. I'm Nicolas Cage, and this is a song for you. Vanessa, you chose uh, Nicolas Cage as our topic. Mm-hmm. As we're recording this, his new movie, The Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent, has just opened. Uh, 88% on Rotten Tomatoes. Yeah. Oh, nice. <laughs> and uh, let's see. I can't find any box office numbers right now, but seems to be as a $30 million budget. That's interesting. Um, seems to be getting a lot of very good reviews. So. Nice. I'm excited for him. Yeah, yeah. I, he's really a Nicolas Cage renaissance right now. He's kind of turned from sort of the internet joke a little bit. He was a while ago. Yeah. Into, you know what? He's insane in all the right freaking ways yeah. on film, man. I'm so happy for him. I mean, it, I 
fucking love this guy. <laughs> um, I guess, yeah, I guess that means I'm starting. Um, and I'm I'm jumping right in with a uh, one of the worst Nicolas Cage movies of, of all time. Uh, Left Behind, I can't remember oh. if it's 2013 or 2014. I believe it's 2014. Hi, Mom. Chloe, welcome home. So is everything set for Dad's surprise party? Uh, he got called into work. Can I buy you a coffee? I'm waiting for someone. Uh, My dad. Hi, sweetheart. Hey. Welcome aboard PanCon Flight 257 to London. Flight time today will be six hours and 30 minutes. I love you. People from all over this plane have simply vanished. Chris, let me in! Chris! I know you all want answers, and believe me, so do I, and I'll do my best to get them. I heard some doctors talking. It's not just here. It's all over the world. One of these days, the sky's gonna break. Chloe, are you okay? Yeah, but Mom and Raimi, they're both gone. One of these days, the mountains are gonna fall into Irene knew this was coming, the way it happened. How could she know that? We took them to protect them from the darkest time in the history of this world. off of the book series mm. let's be very clear <laughs> yeah. uh, about the rapture um rotten tomato score from 69 critics of zero percent oh that sounds about right <laughs> audience of over ten thousand reviews wow two percent oh. oh my god <laughs> i wonder if kirk cameron's did better <laughs> <laughs> you know i didn't check but i should have <laughs> Um, it's okay if you don't know Kirk Cameron also did a Left Behind movie. No, I, I did know he <laughs> oh, okay. did. And I do know this is why I don't trust Kirk Cameron. But, um, you know, I almost, I looked that up before I started watching the movie. I almost decided not to watch it. But I was like, no, no, no. I got to watch this film. Oh, this man. is, I'm going to commit. We I'm gonna suffer commit for our art. We do. Right. <laughs> so um, this had a budget of $16 million. The box office was 27.4 million. Oh. Yeah. And made its uh, money back, probably exclusively from mega churches yeah. that were telling all their people to go and see this. So this is, let's be clear, this is a 100% one of those secret church films. It's not very secret. It's though. not very secret. No, but you know, it's got enough big it, it's actors It's developed in it. so the tour, theater, theatrical tour is not Dependent on act theaters or Correct. regional or anything like that. Right? Yes, they're yes. they're trying to get people in, and 
at least it's not as bad as that one movie. I, my mom made me watch it. It turned out it was an anti-abortion movie partway through. And that was like real, <laughs> real not cool. She didn't know either. But anyway, uh, <laughs> the director for this movie, Vic Armstrong, has 123 credits for stunts. Oh. <laughs> He's a stunt man. He has six directing credits, including For Sunday Horse, um, this movie, and some young Indiana Jones episodes. Uh, which makes sense because he's a stunt man. The writers include, we've got three writers involved in this. Paul Lalond, 20 credits, including all religious films. He's <laughs> um, a lot more of the Left Behind series as well as things about judgment and a lot of documentaries about various religious aspects. John Paytas, who has 11 credits, he also worked on a bunch of Left Behind stuff. And a bunch of other things called re relives or relives. I again very religion oriented. Uh, Tim LaHaye has six credits. He is the novelist behind the Left Behind series, so I think he just gets credits because he people keep making sure. his stuff. This is starring Nicolas Cage. Oh yeah, oh yeah. He's um he's <laughs> playing the pilot in this. He has 110 credits. I mean, you guys. It's Nicolas Cage. It's Nicolas Cage. <laughs> the ones we've talked about. I talked about Next at one point and Ghost Rider 2. I don't know if you guys have done Cage films. Um, but yeah. Uh, Leah Thompson as Irene Steele, the wife. Uh, 105 credits, including you guys would know her from Back to the Future. Uh, she was in Caroline in the City, some kind of wonderful. And she was in a bunch of episodes of uh, Switched at Birth. Cassie Thompson as Chloe Steele, the daughter. Uh, she's one of those people who are like, I recognize you from something. Uh, 29 things, uh, including 20 episodes of Big Love, 19 episodes of Switched at Birth, again, and a lot of TV walk-on roles. And of course, Chad Michael Murray as Buck Williams, an author. Uh, 55 things, including I loved him in House of Wax, One Tree Hill, beautiful, Gilmore Girls, Beautiful. Cinderella Story, beautiful. <laughs> Riverdale, great. Dawson's Creek, also very good. And a bunch of other randos. Um, we've got people like Gary Grubbs, um, who plays, he always plays a, you know, a sheriff, agent, captain, military judge. Like, he's always one of those guys. He's got a really sourpuss face. Uh, um, we've got Martin Kleba, who, he's um, a smaller guy. Uh, he was in Pirates of the Caribbean, Men in Black 2, Scrubs. And um, Al Kram, who plays a Muslim guy, he does a lot of stunts, and he's in this uh, Scream TV series. So, the plot. Chloe Steele has flown home from her college in New York to surprise her father, Nicolas Cage. Uh, pilot Rayford Stella for his birthday. Sorry, Steele for his birthday. <laughs> However, when she lands, her mom, Irene, informs her uh, that her father won't be there. Um, he had to take an emergency flight out. However, she is in the airport and very suspicious of him because she knows he's full of crap <laughs> and uh, is sure that he is probably going off to maybe um, have an affair because that seems to be a problem of his. Sure enough, he rides up the escalator flirting with a stewardess who um, is wearing his hat. He sees his daughter across the way takes his hat back, puts it on his head, walks away from the stewardess, walks right up to her and he goes, oh, honey, I didn't know you would be here. Um, she basically confronts him and said, you know what? I'm shocked that you have not left the family by now. Um, you clearly, you know, are not interested. And he said, no, 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 everything's fine now. I'm, your mom and I have patched everything up. Everything's great. 
Um, don't worry about it. I really had to take this emergency flight out. She's like, uh-huh. Uh, meanwhile, um, she also, in the airport, her father goes off to, you know, fly the plane. Um, she runs into investigative reporter slash well-known author Buck Williams, Chad Michael Murray. Um, she overhears a conversation a religious lady is having with him who is really grilling him about something in his most recent book. She then comes in and corrects the lady about the religious thing and gives her a big smackdown. And you don't know this religious text is so full of crap and blah, blah, blah. And so are you. And the religious lady is very upset. <laughs> so anyway, Chad Michael Murray is really smitten with her and sees her alone after her father um, leaves and uh, comes down, sits with her, has a ch chat with her. And they talk a lot about they just, you know, have a good rap about the world and faith and, and God. And and they are clearly two not believing people. <laughs> this is a real problem that will definitely have an issue later on. Um, uh, his reasoning is that in, in his journalism, he tells the story of this um, giant hurricane in Thailand where a woman lost three of her four children and uh, to this big tidal crashing wave thing and was able to only save her six month old. So um, when the rescuers came to help get everybody out of there, she said, I'm not going to leave because God is clearly looking out for me. I was saved along with my, you know, six month old child. And then uh, that night, like a giant mudslide came down and murdered her and the kid too. So he just <laughs> feels like uh, God is not a good guy. And uh, she also feels like, you know, if God loved you, he wouldn't be putting you through all this crap. So anyway, they connect. Um, uh, he's actually also going to be on the flight that her dad is flying out to London. So he has to jump on the plane at the last minute. Um, one of those guys in one of those airport like truck things pulls up and he goes, oh, your dad forgot these. Uh, give them to me. Give them to him from me, will you? And it's a pair of tickets for U2 concert. And she goes, huh, my dad's going to see U2 in concert. This is uh, in London. That's got to be hard to get these tickets. And uh, he goes, yeah, I spent two weeks trying to hunt them down. Dun, 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 proof that her dad lied. He did. This was not a last minute flight he had to catch. No, no. He has obviously been planning on uh, not being there for his birthday for some time. So check off YouTube tickets. <laughs> it's really, yeah, there's, there's a lot of confusing. I'm not sure how angry I'm supposed to be. And I don't know how woke, I don't know how woke the person who wrote these is. So I don't know when people are like kind of good people, but not religious, if that means they're really, I was really lost on like how much I'm supposed to be unhappy with the way people are in this film. So anyway, she goes home and her mom immediately pulls her aside. Uh, Leah Thompson's like, I really need you to talk to me seriously about the rapture. <laughs> I know you don't want to talk about it. We, we, we have to talk. And she's like, mom, we cannot keep talking about this. Can we just have a not really super serious talk about the rapture right now? And her mom's like, I'm just trying to prepare you. She's like, ah, I have to go. So she takes um, her younger brother uh, out to the mall. And she is, by the way, the best sister. Um, the, the, the little brother is like, yeah, mom and dad seem to not be doing well. And dad says, mom is being brainwashed by the pastor. And what's brainwashing? And she's like, no, no, they, they were just kidding around. Don't worry about it. And I'm watching this going, okay, so is it bad that she's lying, even though she's lying in a good way? <laughs> is this what's bad? Anyway, so they go to the mall and they have a, a really, really fun um, 
<laughs> like fake out for the rapture, which I was like, oh, you guys, silly. Because uh, her <laughs> her little brother disappears at one point. You're like, oh no, did the rapture happen now? No, no, don't worry, not yet. Uh, he just went to go look at a drone. So she like goes and follows him, grabs him from the drone. You scared me, where'd you go? Gives him the big hug. Then he disappears to be raptured. <sighs> Everyone who gets raptured, um, it's actually kind of interesting. Like their clothing and all, everything they were wearing is left behind. So she's hugging him and all of a sudden she's just hugging his clothes, which is a really creepy imagery actually because he had like a no baseball cap on. So it's just like an invisible baseball cap that just falls off. It's very, very creepy. Huh. Um, and in the mall, all the children have disappeared as well as some adults, but it's mostly the kids. So all these balloons, because kids are running around with balloons, all the balloons fly up to the ceiling. It's really really, you know, intense. Um, <laughs> at the same time, and then of course a car drives through the mall because the people who are driving it are no longer in the car. So it has begun. Meanwhile, on the plane, all the children also disappear and the passengers are freaking the hell out because their kids are just now missing as well as a couple of other people. Uh, the co-pilot is gone and Nick Cage went to a different part of the plane to flirt with a certain uh, stewardess. And so he has to go back because the plane is doing weird things and goes in the dude's just the dude's clothes with like the little like arm on top of like the controls <laughs> <laughs> so they're just like going nowhere he was flying like, with the wrist <laughs> hanging <Yes>. off like <laughs> um so anyways uh so everyone on the plane is seriously about to freak the hell out people are like accusing each other and trying to figure out what happened. One lady thinks that she fell asleep and that they landed and her ex-husband came and took her child. And so she's got a gun and she's like going to shoot people and then she's going to shoot herself. Um, so no one's quite sure what's going on. Chloe, the daughter um, at the mall, uh, is on the ground level and runs home. Um, she is going to take her car back, but a CGI, very bad looking plane falls out of the sky like a little one and hits her car and explodes. So she can't use that. Um, so she runs a lot, around. A lot of other cars with keys in them, I'll bet. <laughs> I, weirdly, does not bother to do that. Um, she just runs a lot, runs to the hospital uh, for some reason. I'm not sure why. And she's just yelling the name of her um, little brother. I'm like, you kind of saw what happened, but okay, I guess, you know, it's hard for you to, take that in. But I don't know why you ran to the hospital and just yelling his name because everyone else is doing that. She then breaks into the hospital for some unknown reason to, in a back door, smashes her way in, goes into the baby ward, which is completely empty. And the one single mother is left and comes out. She looks like she was a drug user because big, you know, heavy lines under her eyes. And she says, they were all taken. They were raptured. Wouldn't it be great if there was like one baby left and you're like, <laughs> the fuck did that baby do? Yeah, no kidding. But also, weren't we supposed to be like born of original sin and aren't cleansed of that until baptized? I guess it depends which religion. Okay, that's right. Yeah. Darn it. There's so many cool stories to go with. <laughs> I know. It depends which one you want to go. Yeah, I think the idea is, uh, at least with this one, that whoever the author belonged to, that everyone, every child is born innocent. So I'd be like, thank God all those assholes are gone. <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty sure most of the crew folks we hang out with would still be around. Oh, for sure. <laughs> oh, no. No doubt. Yeah, 100%. No, no. Like, the rules of what allows you to be or not be raptured in this film are very clear. You have to have had a pretty clean soul. You cannot be a good person who does not believe. You cannot be a person who's a believer who does not believe enough. Because... Oh, wow. 
Yeah. Damn. She also runs into a church where she finds her pastor, her mom's <laughs> pastor. And he also says, yeah, the rapture's come. She's like, well, it can't have come because you're here. And he said, well, I said all the right words, but I didn't believe it in my heart. And she was like, well, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> she goes home. Her mom is gone. She listens to the answering machine. And her dad has left this message. Another plane nearly hits them in the air. And while he was leaving the message, he, it, it basically made it sound like they got hit and he died. So he, she believes herself to be completely alone in the world. So she goes to the top of a very tall bridge to jump off it. <laughs> Obviously. Um, sure. Yeah, I mean, I was like, really? I mean, okay, I guess. I don't know. I feel like if you know it's the rapture, I guess there's... I don't know enough about the rapture. I really did not... Even in Catholic school, I did not study up on this. I thought it was bullshit then. So <laughs> there's this period of time between the first rapture and the next. Like, you could, like, get God to love you again if you play it right. So, like, Nick Cage knows this. And he's like, man, I didn't listen to my wife. And I cheated and I'm a bad person, but I know what this is and it's the rapture. And I've got to convince everyone that they have a certain amount of time to do good on this world. Mm -hmm. So he's trying to tell the people on the plane not to freak out because they still have a shot. And she uh, is going to jump off. And then suddenly Chad Michael Murray's satellite phone, he's been trying to call her and the the mom while um, Nick Cage is flying, finally gets through to her and she does not jump. So anyway, the rest of the movie is exactly what you expect it to be. It's a religious... Good time in the apocalypse? Yeah. <laughs> and they, they definitely <laughs> thought there was going to be another film. Um, so the idea is basically he has... She has to... Everyone has to help him land this plane, which is slightly damaged, low on fuel, passengers freaking out. So this is the first part of whatever this book series is, is getting this plane safely to the ground. And it's not much of a spoiler to say they've managed to figure it out. And now it's Chad Michael Murray and Nick Cage and Chloe, the blonde actress who have to face the world together and figure out what's next. Um, God. Probably not going to go high on my list of Nick Cage movies to watch. You know, <laughs> it's, it's really bad. So the music is incredibly awful. But you know what? The, the thing is, I will say this movie is so bad. It is kind of good. Like, there was a lot of joy I got from watching this film. Oh, okay. I was just like, wow, y'all. Okay, cool. <laughs> like, go right here. Here's the religious speech. Here's the crazy. I mean, it's pretty bonkers. So it's hard to be mad at it. And the actors in it are all pretty decent. So it's pretty watchable. I mean, I don't know. It's better than Langoliers. So <laughs> high value, high, high bar you're setting there. <laughs> and way faster. You don't, you aren't sitting on that plane nearly as long. <laughs> So that's good. It's just confusing to me because I don't know what the right versus the wrong is. And I spent a lot of time watching this movie going, I don't know. Because those three leads are all really good human beings. And there are a lot of great, good people in this who are like trying to help each other and do good things. And But I guess they don't believe the right thing or I don't know. Um, the bad CGI is super fu fun because it's so bad. The Rapture <laughs> fake out, that was great. Um, Chekhov's U2 tickets, I enjoyed that quite a bit. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's just a lifetime Hallmark spirited movie. There's a lot of fun trivia. Um, left behind authors Tim LaHale and Jerry B. Jenkins, along with their families, were given an advanced screening of a rough cut of the movie. And afterwards, LaHale was quoted as saying, uh, it is the best movie I have ever seen on The Rapture. Jenkins was quoted as saying, I believe it does justice to the novel and will renew interest in the entire season uh, series. 
Left Behind co-author Jerry B. Jenkins supplied input for the script and spent time on the set during filming. Nicholas Cage's brother, Mark, who is a priest, uh, was a big fan of the novel and actually asked Cage to star in it as a favor to him. Ashley Tisdale was originally going to play Chloe, but had scheduling conflicts. Uh, The end credit song, I Wish We uh, All Were Ready, was from another (laughs) Rapture-based series called (laughs) A Thief in the Night, made in 1972. Um, Tin LaHaye, left left behind author, can be seen in a um, scene riding an escalator in the mall. It was... There's some really fun, weird sequel stuff. So according to uh, LaLonda, two sequels were planned with Thompson Murray and Whelan all signed to reprise their roles. On April 7th, 2015, Paul LaLonde launched an Indiegogo crowdfunding campaign asking for $500,000 in contributions. The campaign only raised $80,000 after a month. If the goal had been met, Lalonde would have begun filming in August 2015 for the summer's 2016 theatrical release. Um, He announced on his Facebook page that the crowdfunding campaign uh, had to be resumed on their own platform, a.k.a. Pure Flicks. Oh, jeez. Beautiful. Another film developed by Tin LaHave's grandson, Randy LaHaye, uh, titled Vanished, Left Behind Next Generation, was released in September of 2016. The film intended to be the start of a new contemporary film series, drawing inspiration from Twilight Saga film series, being marked for a younger audience. The film pulls plot points directly from the Left Behind uh, spinoff series titled Left Behind the Kids. <laughs> the film was well received. Left Behind, those asshole kids. Yeah, jerk kids mm. can't live with them can't li- live without them gotta leave them at the rapture this film was well received by the book series author there are reportedly sequels in development um apparently um lalonde purchased rights to all 16 books he explains mm-hmm. yeah he explained that he has always been handicapped by the first two books of the series and now will finally tell the story in its entirety he's gonna plan he's planning to do six to eight films that cover the books in their entire entirety starting i believe in 2017 so don't know starting five years ago <laughs> hey man you know uh, <laughs> a, a reboot um in august of 2021 uh, lalonde announced the pure uh pure flicks was going to re- reboot the left behind series and it was in development and is being written and produced by the same crew of the previous two iterations so uh, he's going to start with Left Behind, Rise of the Antichrist, with Kevin Sorbo starring and directing. <laughs> Shockingly. <laughs> so we got that to look forward to. Um, now, not all churches love this. Um, I found a couple of really, really, really rough uh, quotes from different um, church review sites. But my favorite was the evangelical Christian magazine, Christianity Today, saying, um, Left Behind is not a Christian movie, whatever Christian movie could even possibly mean. In fact, most Christians within the world of this movie, whether the street preacher lady at the airport or Rayford Steele's wife, are portrayed as insistent, crazy, delusional, and at the very least, just really annoying. They want churches to book the whole theaters to take their congregations, want it to be a youth group event, want magazines like this one to publish discussion questions at the end of their reviews, want the system to churn away all the while uh, netting them cash without ever having to have cared a shred about actual Christian belief. 
They want to trick you into caring about the movie. Don't. Um, <laughs> they also said um, they would have given this film zero stars, but the t- uh, zero stars, but the tech system wouldn't allow it. <laughs> so they had to give it one. These kind of movies uh-huh. really make God look like a huge prick. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and and this is, you know, I'm not a believer, but it's stuff like this that I hear these things, you mm-hmm. know, a, a, um, a good person who does well in life but doesn't uh, believe is not right. going to be led into heaven. Yeah. Well, fuck you guys then. That's <laughs> a real prick thing to do. And guess yeah. what? That is not a rule that a God would make. No. A, a God that could create the universe would not make that kind of rule. Yeah. You know who would make that kind of rule? A man who wants to keep you Collect down. your tithings. Yeah. Yeah. That is some bullshit. I mean, if you think about it, it doesn't make sense because so many reasons, but if you are a good person, but have never heard of Christianity, like, so you're going to go to hell. Because you've just never heard of it. Ignorance, you, yeah. yeah. That, Tough luck, man. That feels really... This is... I do consider myself a sp- spiritual person, but I hate religions. I hate them. They're full of shit. They're full of people who are trying to control other people with their own weird justifications. Mm, absolutely. And, you know, unfortunately, I, I don't think my sister listens to our shows. She's she's very religious, but I remember at one <laughs> point her telling me that the only way you could get into, from her church, the only way you can get into heaven is if you say this specific set of words about, uh, I believe in Christ and I'm a sinner and what blah, blah, blah. And I, I remember she told me this thing and I said, okay, but what if you don't speak English? Does it still count? Like what, if, like, and I just started posing these questions to her about like all the roadblocks that can exist between you saying these words. <laughs> you know, yeah. What if you've never heard this phrase before? Are you not going to get in? Like, what, what is this? And, not only um, that, but those words wouldn't have been spoken or written in English first. Yeah. So true. yeah. Good point. Yeah. I mean, and Hey, Jesus was a Jew. What do you, so all the people <laughs> who hate Jews, I'm like, well, you know what? That's pretty fucked up. Ain't it? There's, yeah. I don't know. It's, I, it's I tough. Actually, I actually read the first two books in this series because really? it was such a giant hit. Yeah. And then just ridiculous. I'm like, well, let's check them out. They're not terrible. They're not great. But mm. the whole concept behind them is weird to me in that, okay, all the, quote, good religious people disappear. Right. <laughs> and now, so you're admitting in your own words that the sinners are far more interesting. <laughs> we, we're yep. going to have a much better time following <laughs> them than we would have if all the sinners disappeared into hell and you got a movie and you got a world left of the religious folks to enjoy the earth without the sinners or something. Right. <laughs> That's a pamphlet. That's not even a book. <laughs> it's, it's really hard. And the, I mean, another problem I have with the, the rapture in general, uh, I mean, look, I don't know everything <laughs> there is to know about this, so maybe I'm just paraphrasing. Hey, hey, just make some stuff up. I mean, the raptures, as far as religious goes, is very new. That's what I mean. You know, it's, it's not it's, from the original. Yeah, so course, it's like stapled. Books. Like imagine the Bible exists and somebody just came up to it with a bunch of pieces of paper and just stapled it. Mm-hmm. And at the very end of it, it says, no one shall add or remove to this piece or they will get spited. Right. Like they will go to hell. So it's like somebody going, this is exactly true and for real. And I had a dream. And um, if you think you're, I'm wrong and question me at all, you're going to go to hell and God's going to hit you. So to me, that instantly negated it. I was like, well, this is full of shit. If, if you have to put that on what you say, then you're full of crap. 
Anyway, sorry. Well, should we talk about my movie? It has nothing <laughs> remotely deep to discuss. But other than that, she has no strong feelings about it. That's right. <laughs> sorry, guys. <laughs> That's quite all right. Ugh. So my Nick Cage movie, um, very little controversy probably involved in this one. This is Jiu-Jitsu. You know what I don't understand? How the hell are you still alive? Must have been a pretty bad fall. The comet you see in the sky right now passes over the Earth every six years and causes a portal. But when it's open, we get a visitor from a distant galaxy. The poet warrior in the sci-fi sense. The spaceman. And he comes here looking for a fight with you. The chosen jiu-jitsu. If he doesn't get it, he stays and he kills everything. That is alien politics 5 through 15. Now you are all the chosen jujitsu fighters. But as long as you die bravely, no one else will have to. He's crazy, like me. There's no honor in killing crazy. I can fly too. From yeah. 2020. I did not see this, but really wanted to. <laughs> Again, this is on Netflix. <laughs> it's so weird. I'm not sure it's pronounced Jiu. Jiu Jitsu? Is it not Jiu Jitsu? Is depends it Jiu? On where you're, depends on who's saying it. Um, is it not Jesus was a Jiu Jitsu? <laughs> that one is probably the originator. <laughs> That's a film I would like to watch. This one has an interesting Rotten Tomatoes rating. 28 from the critics, 64 from the audience. Yeah. And I'm going to say it's probably closer to the 64, but definitely still lower. <laughs> <laughs> this had a budget of, have either of you seen this one? No. no. Okay. This had a budget of $25 million. Wow. Huh. Five went to Cage. Nice. For his three days of work. Yeah. <laughs> get that, get that bank. When I read them going, how much is he actually going to be in this movie? And he's actually in it enough. He's in it a fair amount. I was actually surprised how much he was in it for three days. The box office, I'm guessing this must not have been a wide release because it got $99,000. Oh, man. Uh, directed by Dimitri Logothesis, uh, producer of Sleepwalkers. Nice. And uh, our executive producer. Slaughterhouse Rocks, Air America TV series, 11 episodes. Kickboxer Retaliation and Kickboxer Armageddon. Mm. And he's also the writer. He's also the writer of the Kickboxer, kickboxer movies and Slaughterhouse Rock. Helping him out were Jim McGrath, who is also the writer of Kickboxer Retaliation, Simon and Simon, and Air America. <laughs> mm. Stars uh, Alain Moussi, 63 credits as a stuntman, but as a stuntman in The Boys, X Men Dark Phoenix. Penis. Phoenix. <laughs> wow. <laughs> what penis. was that? 
Star Trek Discovery X-Men Apocalypse, where he was Hugh Jackman's stunt double. So he's high-end stuntman. And uh, acting-wise, most of his stuff is with the same, with the director of this one, plus uh, Being Human, Nicolas Cage. We're all familiar with him. You don't say. And Tommy Walker, who's in Daredevil and Primal. Uh, Marie Avgaropoulos, 100 episodes of The 100. And Supernatural, and I love you, Beth Cooper. And Frank Grillo. Oh, cool. Is in this one as well. Mm. From The Purge, Anarchy, Warrior. And 12 movies that are in some form of production right now. <laughs> but he's also 110 episodes of Guiding Light. Mm-hmm. Did not know. I did not know that either. Oh. I hope he was kicking ass in that. <laughs> he's probably much younger and prettier. Yeah. I mean, he's looks fine now, but you know, looks fine. 25 year old. <laughs> so this movie opens with something I was rather thankful for because it set me up for the concept of what I'm going to watch where it opens up with a comic book style look, comic pages and a comic balloon. Huh. So I'm like, oh, good. This is not to be taken seriously. And this uh-huh. is going to be a crazy over the top movie, which it is to a point. <laughs> so that helps set it up or otherwise it's been a much harder watch. <laughs> and then there, the, this, so the opening scene is this very bizarre scene where the, the lead guy Alan is running through the woods and there's these strange throwing stars flying back all, all around him, like a hundred plus whatever. And who's ever throwing him can't throw worth a shit. Holy shit. I have seen this <laughs> movie. Seen this <laughs> oh, God damn it. All right. And it's a vis- an invisible creature in the woods chucking him at him. Yep. Until he gets hit and falls into the water and just keeps falling into the water. And the opening credits do a not job of continuing that with, uh, comic created slow motion looks and comic created images but uh, I thought the opening credits actually set it up very well it's pretty good <laughs> better than most of the movie so this it, it kind of reminded me immediately of Walter Hill's uh, Warriors but that's a freaking classic <laughs> so if they did something that I thought was kind of cool with the subtitles they're in uh, I forgot which country they're in they shot in Cyprus but the subtitles are different in that they change colors like whatever word they feel should be emphasized. Oh. Like if you're talking, if you wanted to say this film is important and you wanted to say the film is the important word, that word would be like red or blue and a little bit larger. Hmm. And they do that with all the subtitles, which I think is a really neat idea. That is fun. Because, you know, if you're reading through the subtitles, you're going to put your emphasis on whatever you think. But here are the filmmakers telling you this is the important part of this line which I thought was almost way too clever for what the rest of this movie has. That's a really cool. Hey, this also has Eddie uh, Sertiples, I believe is how you say his name, from the underrated sitcom My Name is Earl, his buddy in that film, who's in there, obviously, is the comic relief guy. Unfortunately for such an incredibly talented, funny guy, they give him very little that's actually funny to do. The timing for this movie is very strange. Uh, He's in... He looks like the lady takes him to what looks like a U.S. camp of some kind. And he wakes up in a bed, seemingly recovering from injuries. And like next scene with no intermission, he's sitting in an interrogation chamber being interrogated. And it looks like he's been there for hours at least. Like, is this the lady interrogating him? 
is she really angry? What is going on? Why is he, why he looked like he was the same military group as them when he showed up, but apparently he's not. So it's, there's a lot of problems with the opening creation of the world that you're going to watch here. But apparently he knows Kung Fu. He doesn't know he knows Kung Fu Mm -hmm. until he jumps up out of the interrogation chamber and beats the shit out of five or six guys. And then, the lady who's been interrogating him comes out of nowhere and pokes him with a needle and knocks him out. <laughs> All seems like you just beat up six guys, six people. She's sitting in front of you with a needle and she pokes you. <laughs> it's like he's tired. See, there you go. He, <laughs> he wasn't looking for it. He seemed to be letting down. So the interrogation then continues. It's just blame interrogation questions like, tell us what you're up to. It's like, why are we doing this? Anyways. Then the fight scenes, the first fight scene, these are kind of annoying because there are moments of really cool shit and a way overuse of slow motion to cover up bad fight moments and make them look cool. And they're long. Oh my God, the fight scenes in this movie go on and on and are very repetitive. Um, I do like the one guy who appears to be fighting with fighting sticks that look like silver-painted PVC pipe. (laughs) Even with the joints, you know, you put a PVC pipe, it's got that big, round, bulbous joint. They have that. (laughs) I was like, oh, okay. After escaping, seemingly escaping from this place, kicking him and another guy, kicking the crap out of most of the soldiers, he's back in the interrogation chamber. Like, was this in his head? Was this, what what is going on? (laughs) So... (laughs) um. Now there's moments, you see the, the invisible creature a little bit in the opening scene, but now you start to see it a little bit more as they're going into the woods. It, when it first appears, I think it's kind of a cool design character. It's got a open, like an open mask in the front that's sort of a cross, but it's smoke filled and then occasionally disappears and you can see people underneath it. It's got different faces underneath it, so I'm not quite sure what that means, but it looks cool. The outfit's pretty cool looking, fights well in it. So, you know, that's nice. And now finally we get Nick Cage in the film. Nick Cage is the, okay, there's, there's something said in the scene that completely escaped me and never really seemed to come up again. But when he first meets Nick Cage, he implies that Nick Cage is him. Like he is a future version of him or something. Hmm. I'm not sure if that's supposed to mean I am you and that I will, I was... The story, let me do the basic storyline. And the storyline is basically Mortal Kombat. Mm-hmm. Some creature from another planet is coming down and he needs to fight nine people. If he doesn't fight nine people, win or lose, he will start killing villages and destroying the world. I'm thinking when Nick says, I am you, he was a guy that fought him previously. You know, take of that for what you will. <laughs> Although I got to say the name they came up for the big baddie, not scary. Brax, B R A X. Ooh, yes, shivers. And they they make him kind of impossible to beat. Like uh, he gets shot with a machine gun at close range and just heals up and gets stabbed with stuff. The landscape also makes very little sense in this movie. Like I said, it was shot in Cyprus, so you've got all kinds of neat forestries and deserts and. They go from the forest to the desert with no area in between, and then they're in the desert, and then they're camping in the forest. And I, it's like I kind of feel like the 
editor and if the director is involved, sat down and go, you know, this movie doesn't make any sense at all. We can make it disjointed, but at least be a linear storyline if we move these scenes around. <laughs> like, okay, just do that. Because <laughs> it's a linear storyline. It goes from point A to point B just fine. It's just somehow they go from the desert to the deep forest and back. Casting problems, too. You've got Nicolas Cage and Frank Grillo who own the screens whenever they're on it. And in, I'm guessing it's because he's a friend of the stuntman. He put him in the lead. He's not bad. He'd be a really good second or third in this film, but he is he can't hold the screen like either of those two guys are. And it, I will go on the record as saying, if you love Nicolas Cage and Frank Grillo, this is worth watching. It is not worth seeking out. <laughs> but if it happens to pop up while you're streaming around, feel free, drop in. The fights are insanely long in some of the scenes and insanely repetitive. So watch them till you're done and then fast forward to, to the next scene and you'll be just fine. This movie was also called Earthfall. So this was the first Hollywood production to be filmed in Cyprus. Uh, I also made the note here. This movie would have been a lot more fun if the opening credits had said directed by Bruno Mattei. <laughs> this this is also recently if you've seen in the news nick cage has been doing a lot of talking about how yeah i did a lot of movies for money because i got myself in trouble but i gave everything i had on these roles i wasn't walking through this is a great example of this he gave everything he had with these weird lines and strange things he made it all work he is he's nick cage in this and he he owns every scene he is in completely so a Nick Cage fan, this is worth seeing. Uh, let's see. They originally wanted Bruce Willis to play Nick Cage's role, and we now know why that may not have happened, but there's two stories behind why it didn't happen. One is that Willis was already in a three-movie deal with MoviePass, who I didn't realize produced films. What? <laughs> and he couldn't get out of it. Or... According to the filmmaker, he kept trying to get in contact with him and was never received any kind of a reply. My guess is probably that. But, I mean, if he would have dropped five mil for three days, you know, yeah. I'm sure Bruce is, whoa, okay. Um, Nicholas Cage's inspirations for the roles he plays, and boy, this reading this and watching the movie going, oh my God, Willie Nelson and Vin Diesel. Wow. <laughs> Together at last. And he, he nails it. He's got... <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's like, wow, he's not kidding. And the Brax, Brax's face that I was describing earlier was actually created from a doodle that Nick Cage did while he was drunk and doodling <laughs> in the producer's side. That looks really cool. Could we use it? And they did. So he contributed more than his Nick Cage-iness. I, uh, I did not finish this movie. And in fact, <laughs> I gave up on it before Nick Cage shows up, I believe. Yeah, I can see that. It's a ways in before he shows up. And that first fight, when he first escapes in the fight in the military thing or whatever, I, I swear is 10 friggin' minutes long. It does seem like it goes on forever, and it wasn't very good. Right. Yeah. It had, and if it'd been cut down to three, four minutes, it would have been really freaking good because there's great moments. There's funny moments, like you see the guy fall off the, the uh, wall and land in a very obvious padding covered with weeds because <laughs> suddenly there's this weird square thing around him when he hits the wall. And that's fun. I appreciate that. But I'm guessing you have one that's better. 
Well, <laughs> I was going to go Vanessa's route and just look for something awful. I was thinking like <laughs> Season of the Witch. I haven't seen oh, that one. Sure. And that's been savaged by critics or, yeah. or something, you know, maybe even um, his Wicker Man, which I've never watched. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. That film doesn't exist. <laughs> and then I thought to myself, Kelly, be good to yourself. Yeah, Nobody treat, else will. Treat yourself. Um, I chose from 2010, The Sorcerer's Apprentice. I have been searching all over the world for you. You are going to be a force for good and a very important sorcerer. But for now, you're my apprentice. I'm a What? Are you insane? I'm going to give you the basics. If a sorcerer is weak, his magic is weak. Everything we do is to protect man. I'm not a hero. I'm just a physics nerd. Sorry. Let's go train. Weapon of choice. Plasma bolt. I got one. And again. How'd you do that? I'm a sorcerer. Well, that's new. All that drivel about good versus evil. The world's about two things, power and control. Great men have always been called. This is your calling. No way. So we're supposed to save the world. Knuckle bump. Might as well. Dave, you should run. <laughs> This is a Disney movie. Have you guys seen this? No, but no. I just found out that it's on Disney Plus, right? Disney Plus, yeah. That's crazy. Budget of $150 million. Whoa. Box office of $215 million. What? what? <laughs> Rotten Tomatoes critics have it at 40%. The audience has it at 53%. That feels about right to me. Hmm. It was directed by John Turtletop, who's just made a career of directing gigantic films. He did Cool Runnings, oh. Phenomenon, Rush Hour, The Meg, still working. Um, written by three people, Lawrence Connor, Mark Rosenthal, and Matt Lopez. And among the three of them, they are responsible for tons and tons of film and television um, including my favorite Star Trek movie, Star Trek VI, The Undiscovered Country. So good. Nice. Jewel of the Nile, Race to Witch Mountain. They're just, these guys just write big movies. Yeah. It stars Nicolas Cage. Hey. You might know him from Left Behind and Jiu Jitsu. <laughs> <laughs> it also stars Jay Baruchel. Uh, he's from This Is The End, Almost Famous, Fanboys. He is the voice of Hiccup in all of those How to Train Your Dragon movies. Oh, which, yeah. When I was looking at his uh, credits, those movies, he is in every single one of them. I think they've got four sequels and then two TV series on Netflix. He is the voice in all of those. So yeah. this is obviously a big moneymaker for him. Yeah. And it also stars Alfred Molina. 
from Raiders of the Lost Ark, Lady Hawk, Boogie Nights, and of course he played Dr. Octopus in Spider-Man 2 and yeah. Spider-Man No Way Home. So this is a pretty fun little movie. Um, it opens big with a big, huge magical battle being fought between a bunch of wizard apprentices. Balthazar Blake, who is Nicolas Cage, Veronica Gorloison, who is Monica Bellucci, and my God, is she gorgeous, <laughs> uh, and Maxim Horvath, who is Alfred, Alfred Molino. Um, Horvath has betrayed Merlin and joined Morgana Le Fay, and they're all doing magical battle. It's pretty groovy looking. Everyone's pointing hands at each other and shooting fireballs and shit like this. And this is all, you know, back in 760 AD or whatever. Um, it goes very badly for everybody. Veronica is possessed by Morgana and is being killed from the inside out by her. Mm. Merlin is dying. Horvath is winning everything. And so Balthazar does something very drastic. He imprisons Veronica, whom he loves, but is being possessed by Morgana in this very cool little Ru Russian nesting doll. Hmm. And then Horvath escapes and Merlin tells him uh, with his dying breath <laughs> that he needs to basically live until he finds and trains the prime Merlinian. <laughs> which is some stupid fucking naming, if you ask me. But it makes sense when you find out that Morgana has Morganians Oh, who gosh. study her magic through the years. Uh. So, 1,200 years later, oh. we meet the hero of our story, a 10-year-old kid named Dave. He's on a field trip in New York City with his class, and he's got a crush on this girl. And then through a series of very unlikely events, he gets separated from the class and ends up in this very cool old antique store run by, you guessed it, Balthazar, Nicholas Cage. There's this... <laughs> There's this really hideous dragon ring that was owned by Merlin. And when it senses the boy, it comes alive and crawls on him and wraps around his finger. Oh, and Balthazar is delighted because it means he has finally found the prime Merlinian. Been searching for this kid for a long fucking time. And he tells Balthazar, wait right here. I have something for you. <laughs> and don't touch anything. Uh, so the kid immediately touches stuff and he accidentally releases um, Horvath from the Russian nesting doll. Oh. Now, this nesting doll is much, much bigger than when we first saw it. Um, so Horvath gets out, and we are given some exposition to understand that over the couple of, well, 1,200 years, yeah. um, Balthazar has trapped Morganians over the ages in this nesting doll. And that's why it's so much bigger because every wizard trapped creates another doll around. Oh, and I thought that was nice. a really fucking cool yeah. idea. That's crazy. Which means that at the, at the very end of this nesting doll is the woman he loves who is possessed by Morgana Le Fay. Mm -hmm. And of course that becomes a big thing because, uh, Balth or, uh, Horvath steals the nesting doll and he's trying to get it open. And every time he does, he releases this evil wizard into the world. Oh my. So uh, Balthazar shows up in time to battle Horvath, but when it looks like he's going to fail, he traps both of them in the nesting doll for specifically 10 years. I'm not sure why. And the kid is left there in the shop alone with no idea what the <laughs> fuck just happened. <laughs> but he tries telling his classmates and they all make fun of him and all this stuff. 10 years later, there's oh a lot of time jumping in this. Wow. Jeez. We are introduced to Dave again. He is a student in college. 
He's put all of that shit behind him, and he meets this girl that he had a crush on. He meets her again, and they actually start hitting it off. But of course, the 10-year spell wears off, and Balthazar and Horvath show up, still doing battle, and Dave <laughs> is dragged into it as an adult now. So uh, he is, I just can't stop saying, he is the prime millennium, <laughs> and he has to learn to do magic. But he's 10 years away from how good he should be, because he should have learned all this stuff earlier. And meanwhile, there are these super powerful Morganians in the world who want him dead now. And also Horvath is slowly able to release these evil wizards. So <laughs> Balthazar has to train him to fight these wizards. Basically, uh, it's on-the-job training. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, there's some really cool stuff. This is uh, 2010, so the special effects are pretty fucking good, and they've got a lot of really cool, like there's, uh, he releases this Chinese wizard who then creates this um, just crazy looking Chinese dragon that goes and starts attacking them, and it's gigantic. It's the size of a building, so it's like crawling around on this building, and it gets inside, and it's busting through the hallways and everything, trying to get the kid. Nice. Really cool shit. The, the problem is, the movie is super fun, but it is really the worst of Disney trying to wring the last bits <laughs> out of their IP by turning a very, very small segment of the animated Fantasia film into a feature-length movie. Holy and it is, uh, it is stuffed with kind of bad Disney tropes. Mm. So the scene from Fantasia is the one where Mickey has animated the mops to clean yeah. the castle and it all goes horribly awry. And, and he the splinters the thing everything. and then there's right. a zillion mops. Uh, they have shoehorned that scene into this movie <laughs> no, where, no. He, where he has to clean up his laboratory and he's starting to learn magic. So he gets the mops out. And, oh, and then, of course, the thing goes crazy. And, oh, and he's got this amazing laboratory that would only happen to a kid in New York in a movie that doesn't have anything to do with actual rent prices because it's a great it's a great space mm. and he's got three Tesla coils in it full size Tesla oh, coils because he's a physics student and um there's just all sorts of cool shit in this thing he's got a Faraday cage and all that um <laughs> so he also has this ring that allows him to cast spells and stuff and of course that ring will be taken from him towards the end, and he will have to realize that the magic was in him all along, <laughs> which is just Disney ripping themselves off from Dumbo and his magic feather and mm -hmm. all that stuff. So I guess it's fine. <laughs> uh, like I said, he has his own massive basement lab. Uh, it has these gigantic Tesla coils in it and a Faraday cage. And there's a scene where he impresses the girl he's with by having them stay in the cage and then having the Tesla coils light up and play Stevie Wonder's Superstition, Aww. which is pretty fun cool. Nice. Um, I've been lucky enough to sit in a Faraday cage while a Tesla coil is lighting shit up. And you can, I mean, you're in a cage that's, <laughs> the steel is the width of a business card. You can put your hand right up to it and the lightning is just right there on the other uh, side playing along with your wild. hand. It is so fucking cool. There's a place up in Bellingham, Washington called the Spark Museum. And uh, they will allow you to do that. So wow. go and visit. Um, Cage is just cagey enough to be fun. I think he's trying very hard to be normal in this. <laughs> it's probably a massive payday for him when he needed it most. Yeah. Uh, but even so, he can't keep all of his weirdness out. And it's just the right <laughs> mixture for me. When he goes too weird, it is sometimes not 
yeah. as it, fun as I mean, I don't think Mandy is too weird, no. mm-hmm. but Color Out of Space is a little too weird. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It needs the movie to fit. Like he, he yeah. about his craziest movie is Mandy, and probably his craziest freakout scene is yeah. in that movie, and it works there. Right. Yeah. Um. So yeah, like I said, streaming on Disney Plus. It's by the books, teen fantasy kind of stuff. Um, but I really enjoyed it. Hmm. A little bit of trivia. There is a 1935 Rolls-Royce Phantom in this that goes flying down the street. It looks pretty fucking cool. And um, it is one of a kind and actually belonged to Nicolas Cage. Filmmakers were trying to find a really cool classic car (laughs) and Cage offered it up for the movie. I love this. There's a scene where, um, where Dave is getting chased down the street by wolves. It says real wolves were used in the scene where they chased Dave down the street. However, they were overwhelmingly tame and affectionate creatures, so track points had to be painted on their faces so the CG artists could animate a more scary face onto them. <laughs> These wolves were having a blast running down the street. <laughs> That's so good. Um, there's the, uh, the nesting doll is called the Grim Hold. And so when Dave is trying to pick up the Grim Hold near the end of the film, the scene is reminiscent of the opening of Indiana Jones and the Raiders of the Lost Ark. <laughs> where Andy tries to gauge how much gold the statue weighs with the sand and all that. So in this film, Dave rubs his chin just like Indiana does. <laughs> and then when he picks up the grim hold, he immediately looks up to see if the ceiling will collapse. <laughs> and I, I was like, this has to be just because Alfred Molina is in this movie, yeah. right? I mean, mm-hmm. the only reason to do that is for the, um, and then I thought this was very funny. Although the film, as its title shows, is ultimately based on Johann Wolfgang von Goethe's famous German poem, Der Zabelering, from 1797, which inspired the piece of music by Paul Dukas from 1897, which in turn was used (laughs) in the adaptation of Fantasia, starring Mickey Mouse. The German version (laughs) completely missed the connection, and the German title of this film is uh, Duel der Zauberer, Duel of the Sorcerers. Oh, weird. Uh. You'd think they would have at least gone, well, let's just call it what it was called. Yeah. Uh. Uh, I had a great time with this movie. It, That's cool. It's not, uh, it's not changing anybody's uh, perception of, of fantasy or urban fantasy or anything like that. Certainly much better than, I'm sure, Season of the Witch or any of the other <laughs> movies I was considering. So uh, I have one last question for you guys, though. Yes. Hmm. Putting you on the spot, too. Uh-oh. Favorite Nicolas Cage movie? Oh, my gosh. Uh, actually, Dina asked me that exact same thing when I was talking about it. We went back and forth going, I love The Rock. Uh, the um, Mandy. Uh, Moonstruck. I said your favorite, Eric. Yeah, see, these are all entirely <laughs> different films. I'm telling you, pick one right now. <laughs> Probably The Rock. Because that'd be the one I'd watch the most. Mm. That's a good movie. Yeah. Oh man. Yeah. It's, it's, See, I gave you time, man. Come on. <laughs> I know it's hard too, because there's so many shades of Nicolas Cage and that's the joy of this kind of challenge is like you can dip into so many moments of his career. So I will, I, I grew up with movies like it can happen to you. And is it weatherman? That's basically yeah. the, yeah. the ripoff of, um, it's a wonderful life. Um, but like those were pivotal. And I remember him just basically being a romantic lead mm-hmm. in my childhood. But yeah, I, I would say probably I'm going to go with Con Air. Nice. Nice. That's yeah. a fun one too. It's and rewatch. Very rewatchable. I remember, I remember exactly what it was like the day I went inside. 1996. 
Seven. But yeah, like, like that, yeah. yeah, like so, a sunny day going in the theater, watching well, it is so good. Moonstruck kicked him into that romantic thing, which is yeah. a phenomenal mm. film. Don't forget. And he is, that's probably one of his more, well, he wasn't very, as we can say, Nick Cage now. He really didn't have a lot of that until mm. the last 20 years or so. But he's fairly straightforward in that, but he's also a little weird. It's really good role. Um, yeah. I really loved him in... Peggy Sue got married, but my favorite always has to be Raising Arizona. I think he is so spectacular in that. I I mean, think of those movies we just had. I mean, The Rock and Con Air have a lot of similarities, but you take those, everything else we've named is singular versions, different. It could happen to you. Nothing like the other. Mandy, nothing like the others. Yeah. Yeah. He has a wonderful, and Raising Arizona, very unique film. Yeah, and even something like you know, Pig is a pretty unique version of him. He said in an article that's one of his favorite roles he's ever done. Yeah. He really loved it. I still need to watch that. Yeah, me too. It's uh, it's streaming. Yeah, it's a Hulu, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Well, this was a, I mean, not to toot my own form, but this was a really fun (laughs) challenge just because there's just, yeah, there's so much great stuff and there's still so much I want to see of of Nick Cage's. And I want to rewatch some stuff like um, David Lynch's Wild, Wild at heart. Wild at heart. Man, yeah, I love that. Movie. There's another totally really different. Spe- I mean, yeah, I, I feel like that was the first time I saw him be kind of crazy, oh, yeah. but like still so good. Yeah, yeah, cool. Guess what though? That means it's my choice that for the next is. movie. Woo. I had so much fun with this movie. Uh, okay. I want to I bring this into your guys' life. I want to do a, a topic where magic has to happen in the movie, and I'm not talking, um, you know, oh, it's magical. I, I want to see a spell being cast. So you're not like uh, not like Groundhog's Day where some weird moment happens. That right. Is the magic. Okay. Right. It has right. to actually have a spell. Now, that could be summoning the devil. Mm-hmm. Uh, that can be whatever, urban fantasy. But it, it definitely has to... I mean, Harry Potter. You've got everybody actually casting spells <laughs> through every part yes. of that movie. So something like that. Fun, cool. man. We haven't done fantasy-esque stuff in a while. So Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot... Ooh. Oh, you got some Dungeons and Dragons movies in yeah, your future, yeah. Eric. <laughs> okay, this is the part where we thank everybody for liking, sharing our posts, for participating in the value for value model. Cannot thank you guys enough. We really, yeah. really appreciate you. It's wonderful. Thank you. Yes. Okay. How about we <laughs> say goodbye and we'll be back in one week and we're talking magic. Brain Geons Radio is artisanal quality podcasting, handcrafted with all natural ingredients, and edited to perfection by Eric Margaret. Our blistering theme song is Strange Eons Part 1 by the band Nightshade, and is used with permission. Find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and if you enjoyed this episode, please consider dropping a positive review on Apple Podcasts. How did you guys create a store that is just for me? <laughs>